Well, church, let me encourage you, if I can, to go ahead and grab a Bible and join me in the book of Ephesians for one final time this year. Can you believe we've come to the end of our study of Ephesians? If you're, if you're new to Shades Mountain, this is what we've been walking through almost the entire calendar year here at Shades. We've been, we've been studying the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and we're coming to the end of chapter 6, which is the end of this great letter written by the Apostle Paul to the, one of the early churches in Ephesus, this letter that is a tremendous blessing to us as a church today because it it unpacks and lays before us the beauty of the gospel and at the same time says in light of the beautiful gift of the gospel here's how how you should live here's how you should walk here's what your life should begin to look like if you have by grace through faith received the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ what is the gospel that is so beautifully declared. As you're turning to Ephesians 6, though, I, I do just want to say for, for, for the first time here publicly at Shades, perhaps, Merry Christmas to you. It's now December and it is beginning to look and feel and sound a lot like Christmas. And we love the Christmas season here for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I, I just want to say as we go into this Christmas season to remind us all, Christmas is is one of those times of year that I believe has been divinely set apart. That that God who is sovereignly reigning over all things, including the calendar and, and the seasons and the ebb and flow and the cycle of our culture has set apart the month of December to be this beautiful opportunity to not only remind us of his love and grace for us in Christ, but to also give the church an opportunity on the calendar every year to very easily and very simply invite people to come and hear the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. Isn't it amazing in December when you go into Target or, or Walmart or any of these other big retailers, even as our culture has gotten more and more secular and further and further away from what we believe is the true meaning of Christmas, you can go in a store and you hear joy to the world. You hear songs about Jesus. And, and that's what Christmas is all about. And so the reason I bring this up is because in this month, we have an opportunity with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends who don't, who don't typically spend time in church to say, hey, come join me. Join me for, for a time of Christmas music. Join me for a very special service on Christmas Eve. There is a very easy invite in the month of December. And two ways you can do that. Next weekend is our, our big Christmas music here at Shades with, with our choir and our worship team and, and the Gettys that are joining us. It's going to be a very special time of worship. The four o'clock uh, show has already sold out. We still have tickets for the 7.30 show. Get a ticket. Bring somebody with you. Invite a friend. Invite family. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for them to hear the good news of Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve, we've got these cards spread out around the church building. Christmas Eve, I believe as a pastor, as a pastor who spent the majority of my life in the church as a preacher's kid as well, Christmas Eve remains the easiest time to invite someone to a church service all year. So take advantage of that. We're doing three services this year on Christmas Eve, one, three, and five. I can promise you this, the pastor will preach the gospel. So bring somebody with you that needs to hear the gospel in the midst of the celebration of Christmas. We're so looking forward to that. We hope and pray that you'll be praying about who you can invite. Now, let's jump in to the book of Ephesians one final time here, Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna begin in verse 14 and we're gonna read through verse 18 to get us started. If you're new to Shades, we, we begin to walk through what the scripture lays before us as it relates to spiritual warfare or a spiritual battle. We begin to walk through that last week in Ephesians 6. And today we continue in that same theme, seeing the reality of this spiritual battle and then seeing the way God in his love and grace for his church, for his people, has equipped us and prepared us for this spiritual reality, this spiritual battle that we face around us every single day. So this is the word of the Lord. I'd invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me as I read from God's word from Ephesians 
chapter 6. And if you are new to Shades, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we want you to know the reason we stand is very intentional. Because we want to be reminded every week when we turn to the scripture, this is the foundation for the people of God. In a culture that is rapidly changing, in a world that is changing all around us, the word of God is the unchanging, unshakable, solid rock foundation beneath the feet of the people of God. So we stand on God's word and we look to God's word to see what God says for us is right and good and true, what is best for our lives according to the word of God. So this is Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 14. It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Here's the armor of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. We'll stop there for a moment before we go any further. And let's just invite the Spirit of God, the Word of God, alive here in this place today among the people of God to speak into our lives. Because this battle according to Scripture, this spiritual battle, it is real. And it is a battle that we cannot fight on our own. The Word of God has shown us, God has given us tremendous gifts in the midst of this battle if we will receive it. So let's pray together and ask God to show us what we need to see. Father, we come before you now in this Christmas season, in this, in this exciting time of year, in this busy time of year. We come before you now to turn our attention to that which you say in opening your word, in in reading your scripture, in listening to the proclamation of the word of God. It is my prayer, Lord God, in these moments we share together as your spirit moves among us that we would see what you desire for us to see. For we all come in here with a lot on our plate. We all come in here with a lot of things happening in, in circumstances in our lives. And we need to hear from the living, most high God who is sovereign and reigning over all. And so we thank you for your word. And we thank you for laying before us what you know we need to hear. We pray, Lord God, for open hearts, minds to think deeply, ears to listen, and receptive spirit to receive what you say. Use this time for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. As we close out this study in the book of Ephesians this morning and finish this conversation that we began last week around this reality of of spiritual warfare and this spiritual battle, I am truly grateful at how practical the word of God here is in Ephesians 6. As the Apostle Paul says, you need to know this battle is real. You need to know that you cannot fight this battle in your own strength and flesh and blood. You need to know this is a spiritual battle. But at the same time, you need to know that God has given you, if you are in Christ, God has given you everything you need for this battle. And so he lays out this armor, if you will. And he says, think about a a warrior or a soldier who is preparing for battle. They don't go into battle haphazardly. They they don't go into battle without any, any intentional thought. No, they go into battle prepared. They put on certain armor. They take certain things with us so that they're with them so that they will be ready for whatever they may face in that battle. And they listen to the charge that's been given. 
For any time a soldier enters into a battle, there is a charge, there is a command that comes from his presiding officer or his commander-in-chief that says, here's what you need to know and here's what you need to do in the midst of this battle. I want you to know in Ephesians 6, there is a charge to the people of God. There is a command for the people of God. We're going to see that as we walk through this. And there is a word that serves as a central theme for this entire conversation around spiritual warfare. A word that we began looking at last week in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. A word we see again at the beginning of our text today in verse 14. The word is simply stand. As you think about this battle... Stand, stand firm, stand therefore. It's all throughout this scripture. Look back at Ephesians 6, 13, where we ended last week, and then we'll read 14 again here today. Look at what the scripture says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, there it is, in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This this call to the people of God facing the reality of spiritual warfare is stand. What does that mean? Stand still? Stand idly by? Stand passively back? What, What is Paul talking about? Stand around and wait? No, that's not at all what the scripture is saying. This is actually an active call to stand. What does it mean? It means to stand your ground. Don't give an inch. Don't give up any ground. Why? Because the enemy of God, the, 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 the devil, the scripture calls him, the adversary, the great father of lies, as we talked about last week, he is seeking to do anything he can to gain ground in your life. So stand firm. Stand your ground. The word of God says this in Ephesians 4, 27. Early in our study, we looked at this verse, Ephesians 4.27 says, give no opportunity to the devil. Well, what is the Apostle Paul saying here in the scripture? He's saying, don't give the devil any chance to gain ground in your life. You might have heard it said this way, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't crack the door. Why? Here, here's why. This is so very important. The enemy of God, the enemy of God wants to use a foothold or a crack in the door of your life to establish a stronghold. A stronghold typically does not become a stronghold on day one. A stronghold typically becomes a stronghold when someone dabbles in something experiments with something, says, oh, I'll look at that for the first time, even though I know I probably shouldn't. Oh, I'll go there for the first time, even though my mama said don't do it. Oh, I'll try that for the first time, even though my grandparents said not a good idea. Oh, I'll take this up for the first time, even though I know it's not right. And that foothold, that crack in the door, often leads to a stronghold where one day you look up and you say, I never thought I'd be here. I'm not really sure how this happened, but I never intended for this issue that I know is not right to dominate my life the way it has. I really don't know what took place, but now all of a sudden I I can't control this thing anymore. It's, it's taking over in my life and things are getting dark and this is not what I saw for my story. Where a foothold has now become a stronghold. And I know if we went around the room today, there would be many different stories of, of people who'd say, yeah, yeah, I, 
I tried that thing for the first time or I watched that video online for the first time or I, or I, I flirted in that way with that individual for the first time and now all of a sudden my, my life is a train wreck. Because the enemy loves to take a foothold and establish a stronghold. Why? Because the enemy's desire is to destroy. He'll use any means necessary. He is patient. He'll do whatever it takes to seek to tear down what God desires to build up in our lives. And so the scripture is saying to the people of God, stand Stand firm, stake in the ground, don't give an inch, don't step back, don't retreat, do not give the enemy any opportunity because when we give the enemy an opportunity, he's going to take it and run with it. So stand firm. And as you stand firm, Know that God in his love for you, God in his grace over your life, he has given you resources, he has given you armor for this battle. So trust him at his word and take up the whole armor of God because with the armor of God, you can stand firm. And then as God leads, you can advance the cause of Christ through the power of God. Stand firm, therefore. And then what does the scripture say? Verse 14, it begins to talk about the armor. It says, take up or put on the the belt of truth. Fasten the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's just break this down one at a time. What does a a belt do? Well, certainly a belt holds your pants up for some of you. You know, if you took your belt off and you tried to walk down the aisle, it'd be pretty exciting for the whole church to see, right? The, The trousers would fall, right? Not the best battle strategy to have trousers around your ankles, right? But this was even more important in in Roman times because the the outfits, the attire that would be worn, they often were, were very flowing garments because it was hot, it was the desert, and so they would wear robes or tunics. But when they were gonna go into battle, they needed to they needed to shore everything up and make sure it was tight and secure so that it would not impede them going into battle. The belt was incredibly important. It held everything together so that a soldier would be unencumbered and uninhibited to go into battle, not distracted, not stumbling over himself, but ready to go. And the scripture is saying here, the belt that holds everything together is the belt of truth. This is the word of God. Now please hear this. We, we talked about this again last week in John chapter 8. We turned over to John chapter 8 because we see the way Jesus describes our enemy, the devil, the enemy of God, who is the enemy of the people of God. He is the father of lies, we see in John chapter 8. Everything that he speaks, he speaks as a lie. He knows the truth, but he loves to manipulate the truth. He loves to pervert or twist the truth so that he can feed us a lie that is seasoned with a little truth and we go oh that sounds pretty good and then here comes the foothold but if you go back to John 8 verses 31 through 32 look at what Jesus says about the truth and think about how important this is in fastening the truth of God's word around your life the belt of truth John 8 31 says so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples listen to this and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free this is so important church because the truth of God's word knowing the truth of God's word it's not just about having more information It's not just about growing in some knowledge. And I would even say it's not just primarily so that you can be prepared for battle. Yes, the truth prepares you for battle. That's why it's in Ephesians 6. But the primary objective of the truth of God's word, listen to this, this is such good news. Some of you are gonna love this, but some of you are gonna push back against this. The primary objective of the truth of God's word for your life and for mine is that it set us free. Isn't that incredible? That God loves you so much 
that he wants you to be free. And so he tells you in his word how you can be free. If you know the truth, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, the scripture says. The word of God shows us God's desire for your life is that you would be free. And it is the truth of God's word that will set you free. And here's why some of you might push back against that. Because some of you grew up in some very strict religious homes with a lot of rules. And those rules, especially when you were younger, you thought all those rules, they're taking away my freedom. They're taking away my joy. They're pulling me away from the things that I want to do. And here's the reality. Here's the reality. There there are rules in the scripture. Do not be uh, confused. There are many commands in the scripture. Please don't miss this. Every command in the scripture is for our freedom. God knows what is best for your life and for mine. He wants us to be free. And so he shows us his design. He shows us his best. He shows us his commands. And he says, here's what you need to know. Here's the truth for your life so you can be free. And the problem that we have is that many times we just look at God and say, you know, I think I know better than you. I know you've laid out some things in your word about about freedom as it relates to purity, but I don't want all that. I want to do my own thing. I know you said you have a design for marriage, but God, get the memo. It's 2022. Our culture's changed. And so I don't really care what you say about marriage or, or, or about sex in the, in the gift of marriage and the freedom that comes through a, a lifelong covenantal relationship between a man and a woman before God. That's God's design for me. I don't really care about all that. I want to do my own thing because I want to be free. And yet what anyone who is truly honest would say, looking in the mirror or laying their head on the pillow at night, is when we go away from God's design and God's best and what God says is true, we actually don't find freedom at all. God wants you to be free. He's not trying to take you away from freedom. He's not trying to ruin your life so that you don't have any fun. No, that's not it at all. God desires that we experience an abundant life. He desires that we find freedom in the truth Because it is the truth that sets us free. So is your life being held together by the truth? For if we're going to be prepared to stand firm in the battle, the truth must be holding our life together. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the next thing the word of God says. And I love the the word picture here. You know, you think about a movie like like a gladiator, some old movie about soldiers fighting and they put on their, their, their breastplate. Why? Because it protects all of their vital organs as they go into battle. It protects them from, from being hurt in a in a mortal way. That they're wounded in such a way that they can't come back. And the the scripture is saying the breastplate that protects you in the battle is righteousness. It is a breastplate of righteousness. What is that all about? Well, righteousness, very simply defined, is right standing before God. Righteousness is right standing before God. How can you and I live in such a way that we are right standing before God, that we are righteous in the sight of God. And and please hear me, we're gonna turn to Romans 3. In fact, why don't you go ahead and turn to Romans 3. I I believe this is one of the most important passages of scripture in in the southern church, okay? Now that's my context, so it may be one of the most important passages of Scripture outside of of the South and the Bible Belt as well. But I believe this is one of the most important passages of Scripture in a Southern church culture. Why? Because many people in Southern church culture, they may not say this, but they're trying to live in such a way 
that they can prove to God they are righteous. They're trying to live a moral life, come to church in the Christmas season, do the right thing, be better than those crazy liberal neighbors down the street. We're gonna live moral, we're gonna live right, we're gonna do the nice thing. We're gonna live the right way so that we can somehow convince ourselves and prove to God that we are righteous. Many of you in this room, that may be exactly the way you're living right now. You're trying to prove that you're good enough for God. Trying to prove that your life is righteous enough to be righteous in the sight of God. This is why Romans 3 is so important. Listen to what the scripture says. Verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let this verse sink in. By the works of the law, trying to do the right thing, trying to perform a certain way, trying to live up to a certain standard, by the works of the law, no human being. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? That's everybody. No human being will be justified in the sight of God by trying to live the right way. Why? Because through the law comes knowledge of sin. What does that mean? That means that every single one of us, you may not be religious at all. You may be here because someone drug you here. You're just in town visiting family or your neighbor said, you need to go to this church where this guy yells a lot and it's going to be fun. And you're not really sure why you're here. But every single one of us, if we are honest, we would say there are things in our life that we have done that we're not proud of. There are things in our life that we have done, that we have participated in, that we have seen, that we have said, places we've been, actions of our life that we know were not the right thing. Many of us, those things actually define our story. They actually have a lot of power and authority in our lives because we're, we're trying to cover them up and, and we're ashamed of what those things are. We're not proud of those things. We all have those things in our life that we know they were not the right thing. They were actually wrong. And we may not want to say this because this is not a real fun word in, in our culture in 2020, but, but we know their sin. They actually have taken us away from what's best for our life. We've done things, we've said things, we've made decisions that take us away from what is best for our life. The Bible calls that sin. What, why do we know it's sin? Why? Because, because there is a standard. The scripture calls this standard the law. And the law, this standard that we actually cannot live up to, reveals in us that we have sin. The law reveals sin. It shows us what we know to be true in our own life. It confirms in us what we're already aware of, that we're not perfect and that we've made many mistakes and we've done many things that are wrong and we're actually trying to cover those things up. Why is that important? Because it's showing us there is no possible way, even if you've done a lot of good, that you could ever position your life on your own in the sight of God as a life that is righteous. Because a life that has sin can never be righteous in the sight of a holy and perfect God. So that means we all have a problem. We all have an issue. We all have a crisis in our lives. We cannot be righteous in the sight of God. But the scripture doesn't leave us there. It says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Please hear this. The righteousness of God is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is why we celebrate the gospel. This is what Christ has done. You can't be righteous on your own. You can't ever be good enough to measure up to the standard of God's righteousness. But in Christ, the one who knew no sin, 
who took your sin on his back at the cross, who died a sacrificial death in your place and mine, who defeated sin and death and invited us into new life by grace through faith. We can be saved, the scripture says. And when we receive the gift of salvation in the sight of God, because of Christ, we are called righteous. And this is such good news. Verse 23 says, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means, hey, guess what? You and your neighbor sitting beside you right now, you've got more in common than you realize. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on the same playing field. But it doesn't end there. You can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is what true righteousness is all about. This is where righteousness is found. The finished work of Jesus can become for you the gift of righteousness that puts you in right standing before God if you will receive by faith what Christ has done. So are you trying to prove your worth? Trying to show that you are righteous? Because you know, if you're trying to live righteous on your own and show that you are righteous enough for God, there's only two ways that can play out. Number one, you always feel like a failure. Some of you, that's, that's your story. You're trying to be a good religious person, but you just know you're not ever doing enough. And so you always feel like a failure. It's overwhelming. But some of you, it's even worse. You've convinced yourself that you've done enough to be righteous. And that's what the Bible calls self-righteousness. And some of the most passionate words that Jesus ever speaks is to religious people who are self-righteous. For Jesus says, look, the only place that the self-righteous are going to end up is a place called hell. You can't save yourself. You can only be saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. Are you trying to prove you're righteous or have you received the breastplate of righteousness that protects you and covers your heart and transforms your life? Put on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then Ephesians 6.15 says this, and choose for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I absolutely love the visual here because the Bible talks about shoes. And hey, I'll just unapologetically say it. I used to be embarrassed about this, but I'm a shoe guy. I mean, my wife's sitting here. I can't, I can't lie about it. She'll tell you I got too many shoes. I like shoes. I, it's, I mean, seriously, it used to be embarrassing, but now I'm like, you know, early 40s and I'm getting more and more comfortable in my skin. I'm just like, yeah, I like shoes. I do. And, and, and listen, I got plenty of shoes that are, they're really pointless. I, I just think they look neat. Those are called preaching shoes. <laughs> you know, they're just fun to wear. But I, in my defense, I've got a lot of different pairs of shoes that they have a purpose, Okay. I got shoes that I put on to play golf in. Those, those are a big deal, man. They keep my feet grounded, right? I've got shoes that I put on when I go hunting. I got shoes that I put on a different pair when I go hunting in the rain. I got shoes a different pair when I go hunting when it's cold. I got a different pair of hunting shoes for when there's snakes around. I got, I got some shoes, but they all have a purpose, right? I got shoes that I put on my feet for, for when I go fly fishing. I'm in the water and I need that, that grip on those slippery rocks. I, I, got, I got shoes. Hey, I know nobody plays this anymore, but if somebody wants to play racquetball, I got racquetball shoes. I hadn't worn them in years, but I got them, you know? I got shoes to go do things because shoes imply action. You put shoes on your feet to go do something, and I love what the scripture is saying here. This is a reminder that the church of Jesus Christ needs to hear. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given a pair of shoes called readiness. Readiness to go into the world with the good news of the gospel and share what Christ has done. Every follower of Christ has been given these shoes. Why do you keep them on your shelf? 
So many people in church say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I, I don't want to put on the readiness shoes. That, that would imply I actually go with the gospel to share the good news. The scripture says, look, if you want to be victorious in this spiritual battle, and you want to be empowered by God in this spiritual battle, and you want to stand firm and not give the enemy any ground whatsoever in your life, become a follower of Jesus who is ready to share the gospel at any moment. Why is that so important? Because it'll start to take your eyes off of yourself and your own story, and it'll start to put your eyes on the mission field that God has called you to. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says the most victorious Christian is a witnessing Christian. Why? Because a witnessing Christian most likely is not going to be a self-indulgent Christian anymore. They're thinking about other people. They're thinking about the eternal destination of their neighbor, their family, their friends, their coworkers, their classmates. They're going, Lord, take me to where the gospel needs to be shared. Because I've got shoes. Shoes of readiness, shoes of action to carry the gospel with me wherever I go. I love the way the prophet Isaiah describes those who share the good news of the gospel. Many of you are familiar with this verse. What a beautiful, beautiful verse to be said of your life. How beautiful, Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says design, your God reigns. How beautiful on the mountain, how beautiful from Shades Mountain are, are the feet of those who carry the good news. And every follower of Christ has been given these shoes. Every Christian has been called to be a Christian ready to share the gospel. The gospel that has set you free. The gospel that has transformed your life. Put on the shoes of the gospel. And watch the power of God come to life in you. Be ready to share. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the devil. What is this all about? Well, the enemy is constantly attacking. And when we take up the shield of faith, we are taking up the proclamation that says, I believe God at his word. Why? Because the enemy is always using a lie. So I want to know the truth. I want to believe God at his word so that I can be prepared for whatever dart the enemy may throw my way. Let me give you some examples of this. This week, you may be tempted to sin in some form or fashion. In fact, I would go ahead and say you're going to be tempted to sin in some form or fashion this week. What do you do? You pick up the shield of faith and you remember the promise of God, believing him at his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. The shield of faith. I see that temptation. That temptation's real. God has promised there is a way out. There is a way of escape. I'm believing him at his word. Let's say this week you get overwhelmed with fear. Or you get overwhelmed in anxiety or worry about a certain circumstance or something that's going on. You pick up the shield of faith, believing God at his word, remembering his promise. 1 Timothy chapter 1, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-control. The shield of faith protects us against the lies, the darts that the enemy throws our way. And then verse 17 of Ephesians 6 says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've spent a lot of time talking about this throughout this series. I just want to say real briefly for a moment, the helmet of salvation, the good news of the gospel that we celebrate over and over again, it's the helmet of salvation that protects our mind, protects the way we think and protects the way that we live. It changes everything for us. The helmet signifies what team we're on, what we're a part of. 
It guides and guards our thoughts to remind us that we are living based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, shows us what we need to see, tells us what we need to hear. We say that often. The sword of the Spirit cuts to the heart of the matter. A physical sword cuts to destroy, but the sword of the Spirit cuts to give life. The sword of the Spirit, it's more like a surgeon's scalpel than it is a samurai sword. It cuts to heal. It cuts to bring life. It cuts to bring nourishment. It cuts to, to rebuke and reprove and to train us in righteousness. The sword of the Spirit shows us what matters most. And then verse 18 through 20. We'll end here with this today. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then Paul says in a personal way, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There is something so beautiful and so powerful here. Paul is reminding us of the importance of prayer. He's reminding us that prayer lines our heart up with the heart of God. Prayer changes our perspective. Prayer shows us what is most important to the heart of God. It brings us in line with the mission of God. And Paul says, as you pray, pray, pray for me. Pray that I would be bold. Pray that I would be a man of God who answers the call and who lives the charge to boldly speak the word of the gospel. This is a calling, this is a charge in some form or fashion that is on the life of everyone who follows Jesus. That we would be bold to share our faith, to, to speak truth, that we would not cower or fade away, or retreat, but that we would speak up the beautiful good news that is the gospel. This is our charge. I want to end this way. In 2005, I had an incredible, incredible experience. In fact, I would say one of the most transformative experiences of my life. I was in my early 20s at the time, and Megan and I had just had our first child. McKenna was about a year old. And I was preparing to be ordained as a full-time minister of the gospel. I had been through seminary. I felt called to ministry. And in 2006, we would actually step out on faith and, and become church planners. And that was a, the very begin of, a, a beginning of pastoral ministry in my life. And so 2005 was just a very important year in my life as I look back. It was a, a very transformative year. And in the midst of that year, my dad gave me and my brothers an unbelievable gift. He had been preparing for this for many years. We didn't know about it. But he said to us, I want to, I want to take you on a trip. And I want, experiencing some, I want to experience something together. Just the four of us. I'm the oldest of, of three boys. So my dad and, and myself and my two brothers, we were going to go on this trip together. We went to, to France, to the beaches of Normandy where the invasion of D-Day took place in the midst of World War II. He had been preparing for this for years, and he knew that this was a, a very pivotal moment in all of our lives. My youngest brother was in, just beginning college. My middle brother was finishing college, and, and I was beginning ministry. And so for all three of us, this was a, a very significant moment in our life. And so we go and we visit these amazing sites, these Sites where so many lives were lost, where such courage was displayed. We go to the World War II museums, and then on our final day, we go to the American National Cemetery that's there on the cliffs of Normandy. It's an incredible sight. Seeing all those crosses that are those gravestones that represent all the lives that were, that were lost, that were given sacrificially, on those beaches at the invasion of D-Day. It was very surreal. It's, a, it's emotional to see it. It's a massive piece of property. Crosses 
as far as the eye can see. And as we're standing there looking at the sacrifice that had been made by so many in our country from the greatest generation, my dad said, I've got a gift for each of you. And he, he pulled out of his bag a Bible for each one of us. It's a Bible that he had preached out of for a specific season of his preaching ministry. This is a Bible that my dad preached out of, the one he gave me when I was a child up into the years that I was in high school. It's got all of his personal notes and underlines and everything in the Bible. And then in addition to the Bible, as he said, men, I, I pray that you build your life on this foundation. He then pulled out three handwritten letters for each of us. A letter from each of our grandfathers who were still alive at the time, who both had served in the United States military, just writing a, a word of blessing over our lives and what they saw in us and what they were praying for us. Incredible to read that. And then there was a letter from my dad specifically, a personal letter, a long letter. I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to read a portion if I can get through it. Because in this letter, my, my dad is providing a gift to me that, can I just say, fathers, every son needs this gift. It's the blessing of their father. Every child needs this gift, the blessing of their father. I know men, sometimes it's really hard for us to speak or to write. Every child needs to hear the blessing of their father. My dad wrote this letter knowing that I had been called to ministry, knowing that I would be ordained. Near the end of the letter, he laid out a charge. And he said this, while you are reading this, the selfless sacrifice of the men who stormed the beaches of Normandy is all around us. What they did is incredible. Their courage is simply hard to grasp. They believed in their cause of liberating Europe from the bondage and oppression of evil and they were willing to give their lives for the freedom of people that they would never know. As we gather here to ponder their sacrifice, May we as men be willing to give our lives to Christ for the liberation of many who are in bondage and slavery to the evil one. Our weapons are very different from the American soldier, yet our battle is no less real and the stakes are high. So may we liberate through faithfulness to Christ as many as possible. It is a price worth paying for Christ paid the price to liberate us. And yes, the battle will be fierce at times. And the devil's fiery missiles will come at us from every angle. But stand firm in Christ and press on with the mission that our commander-in-chief has given to us. For the victory is sure. It is the promise of God who loves us and empowers us and strengthens us and protects us. May you press on, my son, and take a hill here and there to liberate some captive souls for Christ, claiming his victory over an evil and defeated enemy. He finished the letter with some personal comments, and I can just assure you, as a young man, as a new father at the time, feeling called to ministry and, and standing in that place and reading those words, I was ready to charge a hill, no matter what the cost. Because the invitation that has been given is the most beautiful invitation that anyone could ever receive. That you get to be a representative of the good news of Jesus Christ that has literally saved your life. You get to be a spokesman. You get to be in the battlefield. You get to be wearing the uniform. You get to be carrying the good news to a lost and dying world of the very Savior that has liberated you and saved your life. Will you put on the armor of God and answer that call? 
For the armor of God has been given to the people of God to stand firm and to speak the good news of the gospel to anyone who is willing to listen wherever we are and wherever God takes us. Will we live that call? We've been equipped, we've been prepared, and we've been given every resource we need for a spiritual battle. Not to sit around, not to retreat from the world, but to stand firm in the truth and to go where the Lord calls us to go to share the good news that has set us free. Will that be our story? It is the prayer of my life and it is the prayer that I pray for our church that we would be a people who would go wherever God calls us to go with the good news of the gospel. For it is the good news of life and freedom that the world desperately needs to hear. Let me pray for us as we close our time in Ephesians. Father, we thank you for your word. It is beautiful. It is living. It is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you for your word that holds everything together in our life as we stand in the midst of the battle. We thank you for your word that is our shield. We thank you for your word that cuts to the core of our lives and what really matters and shows us what is best and shows us what it means to truly be free. We thank you for your word that invites us to receive the good news of salvation. The liberating word of God that sets us free. We pray, Lord God, that you would use our lives for your glory, that we would be a people who take your word with us everywhere we go so that more and more can hear what Jesus Christ has done. Father, I pray specifically for anyone among us or joining us online who has never received the good news of the gospel in a personal way. I pray that today, at the beginning of this Christmas season, would be the time that they step out on faith and say, Jesus, I am ready to follow you. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to trust you with my life. Jesus, save me. And we praise you, Lord God, that when that personal prayer of salvation is prayed. You tell us if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he has been raised from the dead, we will be saved. There is the gift of salvation that is promised to all who believe. We praise your name for that. And we pray in this Christmas season that the gift of salvation would be celebrated in our lives, in our households, in this church, and everywhere we go. That we would be an ambassador, a warrior, a soldier, a follower of Jesus that shares the good news everywhere we go. We praise you for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.